Well, let's continue to worship in God's Word. Um, Since the beginning of September now, we have been in the Gospel of John. And uh, what a miraculous journey we've been on. We've gone from John chapter 1, now we're into John chapter 18. And over that course of time, we've been able to peer into a number of key concepts that we first took a look at in John chapter 1. Uh, you can even see them on the screen. The, the eternal second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. Our creator, our life, our light. The one who has come and who has dwelt among us. And he's dwelt among us revealing his glory. He's dwelt among us revealing his grace. He's dwelt among us revealing his truth and revealing the truth of the Father, revealing himself and revealing the Father. What a, what a journey. What a miraculous reality. Well, now we are at the miraculous place and time of the cross and the resurrection. Um, this is where it's all been moving. And today we begin actually to touch into and really hit upon what John chapter 1 says in verses 9 through 11. It says, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, here's where we're at today. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Um, well, let's just go to John 18. Grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 18. Uh, just kind of in teaching in this passage, I really have a couple, uh, at this point in the time of John, I have a couple decisions kind of to make that I just want to let you know about so you're aware of. One is when you get to the point of the cross and the resurrection uh, and you're going through a gospel, you can have uh, one alternative, and it's a great alternative, is to go and to kind of pull all of the story from the other gospels and bring them all together into a full, complete telling of the story to the cross and the resurrection. You can do that, or you can stay with the gospel and that you were studying through and uh, just hear what John has to say, what the Spirit of God moved John to write at that period of time. And I just want to let you know, we're sticking with John for the vast majority of this. And I say that because, for instance, today as we're going to come across this, this is so much about, in fact, John contains more about Jesus and Pilate and their interactions together than all three other Gospels combined. And John doesn't really say anything about the Sanhedrin interaction, the Supreme Court justice kind of interaction that's taking place about Christ. Uh, but John doesn't bring that in. But we're going to be staying with John for one. Secondly, whenever I get to this point... <laughs> the cross and the resurrection, just to let you know kind of how I'm wired in my thinking. But we're a church that wants to be about application. And um, this is a point in time where we can kind of come in and I can grab and really try and drive for, you know, three application points or whatever, or I can have us be awed by the story. And you can do both together. But I just want to let you know, in fact, you can look at your, as you look at your notes page, there's no outline and there probably will not be for the next two Sundays. The reason is, is I'm just going to, whenever I come to these, I just, to the cross and the resurrection, I'm just greatly convinced that we just need to hear the story, okay? And uh, not that uh, application doesn't fit with that, but I'm just saying that let's hear the story, let's savor the story. I want us to feel 
the story of the cross and the resurrection. And um, know this, the story changes everything. Okay? Um, Warren Wearsby said, uh, we do not simply contemplate the cross. We live it. So we're going to be contemplating in order to live it. Okay? That's where we're going. Well, God, just as we dig into this passage, uh, I would ask that we would be a people that would hear the story that we've been singing about this morning, that we would hear it from your word, that we would be awed by it, that we would contemplate it. For those of us who know Christ as our Savior, may it awe us far more than it already does. For the person who doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I would pray it would bring them to you. May we be awed. You are miraculous. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's get rolling. John chapter 18, last Sunday, uh, our text, uh, just to bring us up here, our text, we had three characters. The first one was Judas. Judas in the text. Uh, Judas was a guy who really sold Jesus out. He saw Jesus as a means to an end. Then we also had uh, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests at the time. Annas was the, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Annas really kind of had the power base. Caiaphas kind of had the position base. Uh, but Jesus got in their way of their end. And so in it all, they set him up. Peter, Peter was just confused and afraid as to what the end was going to lead, be leading to. And uh, Peter denied. Peter failed. He falled. <laughs> and, um, but we're going to be learning more about his story here as the weeks go on. But today we have three more central characters. Uh, we have the central character of Pilate. We have the characters of the Jewish leadership. And we have the character of Christ. And be assured of this. Even though today and next week it may not look like Christ is the hero, he's the hero. Okay? He's the hero of this story. Let's pick up John chapter 18. Let me actually begin verse 25, a little bit of last week to get a running start. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by the fire. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. This is actually the second time he denied it over in verse 17 was the first. Verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, that man was Malchus, or text tells us earlier, he asked Peter, uh, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. And Luke 22 tells us that was then, as we talked about last week, that Peter wept bitterly. And as we, I kind of brought into it last week, cock-a-doodle-doo. I just want to tell you, the Spirit of God works in our lives at cock-a-doodle-doo moments and uh, brings the, the guilt of sin upon us, and I'm grateful for that. Well, let's keep reading in our text for today. Verse 28, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, to Pilate's headquarters. It was early morning. So what they do is they take Peter uh, from Caiaphas's place and they take him to the governor's headquarters, which is called the Praetorium. The Praetorium was a word that was used to refer to the Roman military officer's headquarters or the governor's headquarters, which was the situation here. 
Uh, this is where Pilate is at. Pilate is in Jerusalem. Normally, Pilate's home is in Caesarea, which is about 50 miles northwest of Jerusalem. But he's here at this point in time because the Passover is going on. It was common for that to take place. Last week, I talked about how they had more military in town because of that. And so Pilate is in town, and you know, there's two places they talk about his house could be. It's not important. But they take Pilate over, or they take Jesus over to Pilate's place, to his headquarters. Who is Pilate? Well, Pilate was appointed the governor about four years earlier from this point in time. Um, He's in Jerusalem. He's normally in Caesarea, as I made mention, and uh, he is the governor. Uh, I think it's just kind of a good understanding for us. He is the governor of what's taking place. He's a Roman. He's not a Jewish man. He's a Roman uh, servant under Caesar, okay? So he's servant. So Jesus is brought to him. About 6 a.m. in the morning. Now, we would think on that. Sometimes we read that and we think, well, they woke Pilate up and that probably irritated him. And actually, that was not the case. It was common in the day from what's told is that in the day, uh, Roman uh, leaders would get up extremely early in the morning and their day usually ended by about 11 a.m. in the morning. I have no idea what they did the rest of the day. When golfing in the sand, uh, big sand traps, I'd have no idea what was going on. But that's usually how it was. So it's important because these little things come in. And sometimes I've heard people talk about, you know, they bring Jesus in, they wake him up and they tick him off. And that's actually probably not the case. Pilate is in his normal movement of his day and what's happening here. So they bring him to the headquarters. It's early morning. And they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled. This is the Jewish leadership. But they could, so that they could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside. Wait, I just got to stop there. This is like one of the most sad things that's going on. Here's what's happening. Back in the day, they had a rule. They had a law coming out of Leviticus, but it was kind of taken to a, uh, I don't really think where God intended for it fully to go in Leviticus. And was so what was the day? They took the good base of what God had set out and they took it into extremes that turned into this ritualistic religious world. And in the day, the thing was, is you could not step into the house of a Gentile. And if you did, you were then classified as ceremonial unclean and you would then have to go through a process to become clean again. And it was Passover time. And they knew that if they went into the house, the governor's kind of compound area more inside, that they would then be defiled and they wouldn't have time to be able to take the Passover meal. I just contemplate all this if you were here last week. And they have been already, these guys have been breaking law after law after law after law. And then they won't step in the governor's house because then they might be unclean and they can't take the Passover meal. Do you see the utter hypocrisy with what's taking place? Uh, Be assured of this. I've heard people talk about, yeah, the whole God thing, the whole church thing. There's too many hypocrites. Well, yeah, welcome to the world. Uh, And can I just be straight up? Aren't we all? in some shape, manner, or form. And yet here are these men who are so religious and high status, they wouldn't come into Pilate's house. Now think of how that uh, has impact, because it also says right there in verse 28, so Pilate went outside to them. Pilate knew of this. So Pilate went out to them knowing of their ritual that they had set up in place. And just kind of think of that dynamic. 
They won't step foot into your house because if they step foot into your house, they're defiled religiously. (laughs) Feel the love? Can you just gain from that, this reality of pilots out there? And it's like, I know you can't come into my house because if you come into my house, then you're defiled because I'm a Gentile. Love you guys. Uh, Not. Not. That's the setting that's going behind what's taking place here because you've got to understand this massive game that's now about to happen. So Pilate went outside to them and he said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Not quite true. Uh, The story of Stephen. They could stone someone blaspheming the Lord to death. But how interesting is this? They wanted him crucified. Why? Why not just stone him? Because the scripture said the Savior would die, just like Larry read earlier, on a cross. Interesting. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The Jewish leaders come, they expect, they just expect, I think you can pick it up here in the terminology in the conversation, that Pilate's going to confirm their judgment and order the death. Uh, But Pilate, who uh, in this relationship isn't so thrilled about being where he's at and also is viewed as an unclean person, uh, doesn't get along so well. I also have to add in this, Pilate very likely already knew about the scuffle that was going on. Again, going back to Gethsemane, the fact that there was a detachment of Roman soldiers that went likely meant that Pilate had knowledge of that. In other words, the Jewish leaders just don't go and they just don't grab some Roman soldiers and say, hey, come with me. That's not at all how it worked back then. Very likely, Pilate already knew about this Jesus and this whole conflict with the religious leader system that's taking place. So Pilate, after they say, well, you know, we brought him to you, he orders a new hearing out of this. Frankly, I think Pilate is sensing their game And he seeks to kind of humiliate them. Hey, listen, you try by your, by your own law. Don't pull me into your game. Okay. I think this is clearly what's happening here in this interaction between the leadership of the Jews and the leadership in place for Rome, which is Pilate. Let's keep going. Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus. Stop. Love this. Here's Pilate. I think this is fantastic leadership on Pilate's part. He's sensing something's going on here. So what he does while he's out to them, you know, you, you run them by your own thing. Don't make me be your, 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 your move guy here. And so he pulls Jesus inside to have an interaction. Hey, what a way to handle problems. Can I just say, what an example of communication. <laughs> Just come and talk. And so Pilate pulls him in and interacts face to face with Jesus as to what's happening here. Look at the question. First question we have. Jesus 
And he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, it is so hard to know, and we really don't know. What was the inflection behind this? I mean, was this a question of true curiosity? Or was this a question of coming out of the Sanhedrin and in light of what the Jewish leadership was saying that this guy claims to be the king? And he's just repeating the claim kind of like maybe mockingly or just straight up inquisitively. We don't quite know yet. But here he is, he's asking, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord? In other words, do you really want to know? Is this an interest of your own heart? Or did others say it to you about me? So you meet in the headquarters, and I love this. Look at this. Jesus answers a question with a question. This is so Jesus. You go through the Gospels, and people ask him a question, and he asks a question back. Why? Because questions go to the heart. It goes to the heart, the thinking. And so in this, Jesus asks a question back. So here's my question. Who's really interrogating who? Watch this as we move along. You know, the power leaders of the day, Pilate, the power leader of Rome in this setting. Here, uh, the Jewish leaders, the power leaders of their people. And here's Jesus just coming along, knowing what he's been called to do. And as we've been studying it, he's doing it all for the glory of the Father. So here he has this interaction and he asks a question. (laughs) He's asked a question. Love it. Verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Probably a little frustrated. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. Next question. What have you done? Great question. Jesus answered him, my kingdom is not of this world. By the way, king of Basileia. The word is not necessarily uh, referring to a specific place as much as it refers to a reign or a kingship. It's interesting, in in English here, in essence, what's happening is he asked, the first question was, so are you a king? And he's answering yes, but not in the same form. He's saying, I have a reign. I have a kingship. Okay? Uh, By the way, he's also not answering his second question. What have you done? He's taking control. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, in other words, my reign, if my kingship, If my kingship were sourced from this world, my servants would have been fighting. I wonder if he's talking about earthly servants or angelic servants. That would have been cool. Both. By the way, every knee will bow and the servants will confess that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. It's not sourced. From the world. So I wonder, I genuinely, this is a point in time in scripture where I so wish I knew what Pilate was thinking right now. Was he thinking, freak? Was he, oh, by the way, remember, one of the other gospels tells us that his wife said, honey, don't play with this guy. Guys, listen, he arrives. And yet, Pilate, all along through this, is, well, let's continue to see what he's doing. Then Pilate said to him, verse 37, so you are a king, uh, embedded within his answer, yeah. Uh, Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. (laughs) For this purpose I was born, 
And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. For everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Uh, Jesus answered essentially, a king, that's your word. If you want to use the word king, have at it. Let's, let's go with it. Because I have a reign, and it's a reign not of this world. But notice what kind of reign. I'd say it's a truth reign. In other words, he's talking about, you say that I am a king. For this, person I was, for this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. A reign who's come, uh, one who's come to bear witness, to tell about truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate, verse 38, the gazillion dollar question says, Sir, what is truth? You know, people talk about how the Bible is irrelevant. The question back some 2,000 years ago is the exact same question being asked today. What is truth? I'm not going to take the time and kind of diverge off the story and talk about all the various kinds of definitions of truth and relative truth versus absolute truth and all these kind of arguments that are going on. Because, but you know them, right? Our world is searching for truth. And in essence, Jesus here, as he's talking, he's saying that I am a king who has a kingdom of truth. I reign over truth. I am truth. Oh, yeah, by the way, John 14. And Jesus said, I am the way and what? So what is truth? What is truth? We really could say, according to this, truth is a person. The fact of the matter is truth always comes down to a person. It always does. Who has the truth source? Who has that? I love the fact that Pilate asked this question. I love thinkers. I love people who ask questions who genuinely are interested in wanting to seek out answers. And here Pilate is asking the question of our age. What is truth? Hey, question. What is your truth source? I mean, for real. What is your truth source? Jesus is in essence saying here, I am truth. I am the king of truth. And my purpose has come, Ben, to come and reveal truth. What is your truth set? Is it uh, Jesus plus this and this and this and this? I just can tell you that's not Jesus' truth set. We live in a day where people say, you know, I have my own set of truth. Okay, that could be truth, true for you. But understand this, you live and die by your truth set. And just because someone says this is what I believe is true doesn't make it true. And yet we live in a culture nowadays where if people make that statement, well, I think this is true. Oh, well, that's awesome. And it's kind of like we've just granted the reality that because you happen to think it's true or because I happen to think it's true, it's true. So, Doug, how do you know that Jesus is true? Great question. So I'm going to answer back with a question. How do you know Jesus is true? How do you know? Well, because I just know. No, seriously, come on, think. 
How do you know this is true? I'm going to leave it open-ended. How do you know? I'll just say this. Ultimately, all truth comes down to faith. I don't care if you're an atheist, an agnostic, relative truthist, or an absolute truthist. All truth comes down, ultimately comes down to a person or persons and faith. I just want to let you know this. This is what should drive us as life moves along. Hey, what truth is driving you? Jesus has come and said, I am the king of truth. So I'll just say this. What's my truth set? My truth set, I'll just, my truth set is what Jesus said. That needs to be, and I'm working to make that my truth set in my life every day. That's why when life moves along and something takes place, what does Jesus think about that? Why would I say that? Why would I think that? Because he's the truth. That's the truth set. And so here Pilate is asking a fantastic question. Maybe you've been asking, what is truth? Um, you need to come to a conclusion by that because saying that I have no truth set means that you do have a truth set. I'm just going to leave that open-ended. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back out to the Jews, to the leadership and to all the people that were there, and he told them, look at this, I find no guilt in him. Uh, Be very aware of what's about to be said here by Pilate. Because it's one thing to be able to make an assessment about a person when you haven't talked to them. And it's another thing to pull them aside and have a sit down and talk and actually find out what do you believe and then be able to come up with a summation. And here Pilate comes out and says, listen, I have to be straight up about it. I find no guilt in him. I don't know. Maybe he's a little crazy, but I don't find any guilt in him. Verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Pilate, honestly, is trying to get out of it here. So do you want me to release to you? Look at it. The king of the Jews, frankly, I think this is smack talk. Just to understand, this is not the first time Pilate is about to say this. Pilate, from here on out, basically, to the Jewish leadership, every time he speaks of Jesus, he refers to him as the king. And that just gets their goad, man. (laughs) These boys don't like each other. And yet, here's the deal. The Jewish leadership is using the guy that they don't like to try and get their job done. Verse 40. And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate was a morally weak man. In fact, in historical accounts about Pilate, it tells that he was a vacillating man. It was one, he was a man, not just with this situation, but with multiple situations. Pilate knew things, and yet in the reality of it all, what oftentimes had happened is Pilate would use brutal force. He would use various things to kind of come out. But Pilate was always up and down. And actually, part of the reason there's a lot of writing about it is because the Jewish leadership was irritated by him because of his vacillating on issues. And so this is kind of who Pilate is here. Now there's a robber. Chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Okay, I think this is one thing. By the way, I would highly encourage you, uh, even if you've seen it, to see it again, to watch The Passion of the Christ. I just encourage you in the next couple of weeks to watch that. But there is kind of one uh, 
uh, area that they, I think, miss here. And that's this, that right after this interaction in the Passion with Christ, they take Jesus out and they tie him to a pole and they beat the living life out of him. Uh, I, now, back in the day, there were three kinds of floggings. How many? Okay, let me tell you about them briefly. The first one was the kind of flogging where they would take a person, and please understand this, they would beat him, okay? They would beat him, and then they would give him a strong warning, okay? The second one was a brutal beating, and and they would beat the person up uh, in in a heavy, heavy, heavier way than the first way. Uh, And then there was a third one. The third one was beyond brutal. The third one was used with a whip. They'd have bone in it. They'd have stones in it. They'd have various things in it. And if you've watched the movie, you've seen that wrenching part. That was the third. Oftentimes, people would die on the third beating. In the movie, they show right from here, it goes to the third beating. I don't think that's actually what happened. On here, actually, I think what's taking place here, if we follow through the process and if we filled in all the gaps as well as the normal process of crucifixion, this is first beating. This is first level beating. And so what they do is they take Jesus, and in fact, let's read what happens. Verse 2, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe, probably a robe that came from one of the Roman military guys. And they came up to him saying, Hail! Look at the word. King! of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. I mean, this is kind of a hand-on-hand beating that would take place, possibly some whips in there, but uh, I don't think this is second or third. Uh, Pilate then went out again, okay? So now we're back out with the people. And he went out to them and said, See, I am bringing him out to you that you might know that I find no guilt in him. How many times has he said that now? Twice. And then, so Jesus came out. And it's interesting how John records this because I really think there's a dramatic thing going on here by Pilate. In other words, uh, after the beating takes place, Pilate steps out onto this, his, you know, kind of as you can see here, over, that's the outside of his house, so they can come into the court area, but he's on the outside. And so he makes this declaration. I don't think Jesus is there. And I think he's really hoping that in this, that what ends up happening is now the people will see that, uh, you know, I, I find no guilt in this guy and here he is and then i think at that point they kind of walk him in and it's he's hoping everybody go oh and there would be some softness and some proving the fact that listen this king issue has been taken care of please understand i've taken i've beaten the king out of him and you can see that the king's been beaten out of him don't fear anymore let's let him go and I think this is where Pilate, we'll see a little bit here in just a minute in the text, Pilate always wanted Christ to be able to be let free. Because his wife told him, be very afraid. The Roman structure of things was they were very superstitious. And Pilate just knew something wasn't right here. And so he brings him out on there and here's what the response is. Verse 5, so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe. Pilate said to him, behold the man. <laughs> when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out what? Yeah. I got to tell you, I think Pilate right at this point in time was shocked. 
as the response. Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Third time, Pilate makes a statement. This guy wants this off his back. He's nervous about this, got the eebie-jeebies about this. This is not right. And look what happens. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to the law, he ought to die because he has made himself out to be the son of God. Oh, this is so important. Please understand this. Everybody knew who Jesus declared himself to be. Oftentimes in some of the books and sometimes in some movies, it kind of gives this idea that Jesus was just like any normal man, but hyper-religious. Or he just got a little carried away in his religion. Uh, that is so not the case. Well, let me remind us what this term means, the son of man. The son of man in that day, son was used not for lesser of, not birthed of, but it was used in referring to equivalent of. This term on one level has the statement really meaning more for us in understanding. He declares that he's equivalent of God. He's making a divinity claim. He says he's God. And he did. This claim also, son of God, carries back, as we've talked before, to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, the terminology here is pulled out of mainly for the Jews. And in having this idea that there's going to be someone who's going to be coming, and they're from God, who's going to be setting up an eternal dominion uh, that implies divinity in it. There's one who's going to be coming, and he's going to have an eternal kingdom. And in essence, when this statement is being said by the Jewish leadership and the Jews who are with them, they are saying, this guy claims that we know, he claims himself to be God, and he claims himself to be the Messiah. I just want for you to understand this. Maybe if you're still trying to understand who Christ thinks he is or what Christ is all about, please understand this very clearly. Without question, Jesus Christ declared himself that he was God in the flesh. No question about it. And ultimately, that's why they killed him. God in the flesh. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Um, <laughs> it, already, it already states with, embedded within this is he was afraid. Now he's even more afraid. Verse 9, so he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus. Now they're back inside again. Uh, and he asked this question, where are you from? Now, that a lot of commentators talk about how this uh, clearly has this idea of uh, what province, what area, and there's a governing reality here. Uh, I'm just going to, this is me. I'm just wondering if it was more than that. I mean, you just walk away from a statement. He's the son of God. He's, he's, he's divinity. And how the Jews were understanding that and how he is a Roman understanding that with all the gods and with all the superstitions uh, and his wife, what she had said, and the whole nervous about the whole situation. I think there's a component of this where not only is a governor, is he trying to find what province he came from, but it's like, uh, dude, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. By the way, giving no answer to a governor in that kind of situation. It was worse than contempt of court. So Pilate said to him, you, uh, 
you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Listen to this. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you above. I wonder what that eye contact interaction was like there. I don't think it was an arrogant statement. Understand Colossians chapter 1 and what we saw in John chapter 1. The eyes that Pilate is looking into are the eyes of the one who has created all things. Wow. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has greater sin. There's lots of debate. Who handed it over? Is this Judas? Is this Caiaphas? Right now, I don't think it's important in our process here. He's not uh, exonerating him from his sin. He's just saying there's sin that's out there that's even bigger than yours, my friend, but sin is sin. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. I think the eye contact spoke. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Uh, The Jewish leadership knew Caesar. They knew that Caesar, with any of his subordinates who would go against him, had them taken out quite quickly. And so here's what's coming down. They're playing the politics game. And Pilate is hearing the politics game because if they raise havoc, Caesar could take Pilate out. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat, the bema. Those of you who know more of the scriptures in the Old Testament or New Testament, isn't that interesting? Pilate comes down and sits on the bema, a place called the stone pavement at Gabbatha, something like that. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, <laughs> Behold your king. This is so in your face. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your what? <laughs> oh man. And the chief priest, no, who, the chief priests, answered, listen to this, we have no king but Caesar. These are the men that are supposed to be leading a nation who have been called by God to be his people, to be priests to the world. And the chief priests of the nation that's supposed to be the chief priests of the world are making the declaration, they have no king but Caesar. Oh, and Christ is right there listening to it. The king. So he, Pilate, delivered him over to be crucified. He caved. Nine times in our text, it uses the word king. Nine times. A king rules. A king has reignship. A king has subjects who submit to the king. Who is your king? I think here for the Jewish leaders, we can see that they were their own king. 
No one is my king. That means that you're the king. Be careful. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Pilate. I think earth stuff was his king, his position, his place. He couldn't lose it. Fear of losing it. But here's the truth, King Jesus. Friends, Jesus is the king. And I think here out of the text, what I'm really talking about, Jesus is the king of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is the king. He is the king with a kingdom that reigns. It's not from here. Is Jesus your king? Let me ask it this way. Is he your king or is he your magic genie? Is he your king or is he your Santa Claus? Is he your king or is he your pal or your boyfriend? Is he your king or is he just a religious icon? Is he your king? Does he have real true reignship over you? He's a king. Understand that. Even Pilate, kind of even smack talk reality, spoke the truth. He was the king, and he was the king of the Jews, and he's died to be able to be your king. Is he your king? Or do we give him the title king, but treat him as something different? Hey, listen, application for this week. How would life look this week if lived if he was really the king over you? Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for your kingship. Lord, uh, you reign. You rule. And yet I am just so stunned and amazed here that you would stand before men and women here in this context and allow them to try and make a decision on who they think you are. And you're the king. Lord God, I do. I pray this morning, maybe someone here this morning doesn't know you as their king. They just know you as, as, as something other than that, a person of human history, a person of interest, but don't know you as king. Or the king has come and the king is coming back. And the cock-a-doodle-doo reality is a reality of life. And Father, your son has done that for us. They took him away. And now the third beating begins. And the cross is coming. I'm stunned that he would do that for me. Lord God, would our contemplation of the cross change how we live? In Christ's name we pray.